the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, really? Love is his ass. Love. Too weak a word. Stay back. I loathe you. I love you. I love you. I did as he said. Don't lie! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. Moonlight, Best Picture. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 33 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and joining me for this episode, this is episode 33. My God. I know. And it, by the way, if you couldn't tell, it's Will Matheny. Hey, guys. Good to be back. Yeah, Will, Will, Will. I mean, like, you're just, like, in and out, in and out, you know, in the past couple I'm weeks. I'm a man of mystery. I guess I'm Austin Powers at some point. International man of mystery, Mr. Will Mavity. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Okay, I'm uh, that was a really. That was a really... You didn't quite do justice for the gloriousness of Mike Myers' accent. Well, how about, well, how about this, then? I'm surrounded by freaking idiots. It's better. It's better. We're, we're you, getting you're there. Getting somewhere. What about what about this one? What about get in my belly? Oh God. Oh, that's a, that's a visceral line. I I can work with the fat bastard there. It's solid. Okay. Getting tones of Shrek, but. Oh yeah. Oh, donkey. Yeah, anyways. All right. So enough with impressions. Uh, for this, could you imagine the whole episode is just us just doing impressions? <laughs> we just deliver it in line, like in character. All right, now what do we have over here? Um, yeah, no, okay. <laughs> King Kong ain't got shit on me. <laughs> Ooh, that was good. Was it? No, I, I, I was flattering <laughs> you. Let's be honest. Hey, of course, of course. In any event, though, um, let's start off with um, the typical icebreaker. When, quite honestly, I am amiss of how we usually want to start. Well, Mavity, did you see anything this week that you want to talk about? Ha. Uh, I have not seen a lot of films recently. Oh, I'm, oh my god. It's like the worst answer. We're pretty busy with my life lately. What I have seen is I've been catching up with a little bit of Black Mirror. Oh. Black Mirror is some stunning television. Absolutely terrifying. Um, and often has remarkably high production values. It reminds me that what a talent Dan Trachtenberg is, for example, of Tin Cloverfield Lane fame. So I have I have seen some Black Mirror. My girlfriend and I have been watching it together. Um, I am dying to see The Void. I haven't seen it yet, but the the little part of my soul that got interested in film in the first place because I liked sci-fi and horror really wants me to see that film, even though it may not be in our Oscar-friendly wheelhouse, per se. And what about you, Matt? Uh, I saw The Black Coat's Daughter recently, and that movie could have been much, much better, but it's not. Um, it's that's a great start, yeah. It's it's like really violent, uh, it's shot very well, it's atmospheric, it's creepy, and it's got strong performances, but they just the, the, like the actors aren't given enough material to work with to really craft full dimensional characters and the film's message is so boring it's like 
in the end, it, you know, when it's when it's over, it's like that's it. That's that's all the movie was. And I'm not so sure if I was supposed to be necessarily enlightened outside of just being completely disturbed um, because the movie was disturbing at times. But it, but I just didn't I didn't take away anything from it whatsoever. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think like if you're just looking for something to like casually watch on a Saturday evening, sitting at at home, you could do a lot worse. But it's nothing special. So you know what I, I I didn't see a film, I guess, but this week I did do is I stayed at an Airbnb that is run by some set builders, which is pretty cool. They built Forrest Gump's house, among other things. They helped build District Twelve for the Hunger Games. And basically, once they're done with films, they often take out parts of the set and use them to build their bunkhouses. So I was staying in a cabin that was part bank vault, part Hindu temple, part helicopter. What? I thought that was pretty cool. Oh, it's, it's wild. Um, honestly, they, they live in like a hippie commune. They're the kind of people, particularly since a lot of the film business has left North Carolina where they're based. They would honestly be worth doing a piece on. Very fascinating. He had a lot of fun anecdotes. He worked on that uh, movie Into the Blue back in the day and got to deal with tiger sharks on set. And apparently they dealt with tiger sharks, crashed planes. Um, you know, they, they rode jet skis, had jet ski chases. And the only thing that the insurance got upset about was that the actors might slip on the foam they had in a bar fight scene. So apparently that was fairly amusing. Yeah, they, uh, they go to Burning Man and they have partied with, uh, Mark Zuckerberg there before. Really interesting little, uh, aside, I guess, as far as people I met involved in the film industry. So... Not a new film scene, but worth mentioning. You know who I'm hoping to meet in the uh, film industry uh, as of tomorrow? Uh, the Rock? Yeah, um, I'm going to be at the world premiere of The Fate of the Furious. Uh, so I'm hoping for a selfie with uh, Dwayne, which should be uh, pretty pretty fun, hopefully. Hopefully I can see Charlize. That would be amazing. Um, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, isn't Tormund there? Uh, I'm not sure, is he? Yeah, yeah, he uh, he joined the film along with Charlize. I don't know what his role is. Oh. I assume he's one of the villains, but he has some role in the film. It was enough it had a deadline headline. I'm, like, hoping that the casual audience member has no idea who he is so that I can just be the only one to go up to him and be like, yo, you got the deets on season seven? Come on, man. <laughs> you know? Yeah, give us an exclusive. Uh, but uh, speaking of an exclusive, uh, that review uh, will be up. Uh, hopefully, as of uh, the time that this uh, episode itself is posted, um, if not, it will definitely be posted shortly right after. We also have an advanced review on Next Best Picture right now of The Lost City of Z, which also comes out next week. I really want to see that. I, I love the concept. It looks so interesting. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I definitely liked it out of uh, New York Film Festival, and I can't wait for everyone else to see it. I'm definitely going to see it again because I just want to see if they changed anything or reworked something from when I last saw it. I highly doubt it, but I'm just curious. And um, what else do we have? Uh, we also have reviews up on the website. These are not movies that I saw uh, this week, but if you're so inclined, we also have reviews of The Zookeeper's Wife. Uh, Smurfs The Lost Village, uh, Gifted, which I did see. I posted that a couple weeks ago, though. And also, um, I'm seeing Colossal 
tomorrow morning with Anne Hathaway. I'm really also dying to see that. That looks very entertaining to me. That could be um, the Swiss Army Man of this year for me. Yeah, my uh, one of my best friends saw it at Sundance and absolutely adored it. So I'm, I, I'm expecting good things. Uh, you know, and also too, uh, I didn't see uh, much new uh, this week, uh, like as I was saying before, but I did get a chance to rewatch something. I uh, rewatched The Cabin in the Woods recently with my oh. sister, who had never seen it before. Oh, Cabin! I, I was thinking about that movie recently. I have no idea why. That is such an underrated film. I think it's the scream of this generation. I really do. Oh, it's so funny. Oh, my God. As a commentary on how bad horror films started to get, like, in the early 2000s with, like, torture porn, and then um, acting as, like, a metaphor for how old horror films, uh, or as they refer to them in the movie as God, so to speak, will one day, like, rule the earth again. Um, And we've also seen, like, a resurgence with horror and cinema in these last couple of years. I can't help but feel like that film was somewhat foretelling in what was to come ultimately for the genre. Um, I, and listen, I could be reading into it in a very, very different way than most people do, but I really did find it to be a perfect dissection of the genre, not since uh, I had seen something like uh, Scream. You're right. We are in a bit of a horror golden age now, which I really like. We get three or four good ones every year. And Bloomhouse pretty much owns the world right now. Didn't uh, didn't someone from Bloomhouse just go join the Trump administration or something? Oh Jesus, I don't follow that stuff. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. The, but regardless, Bloomhouse is on top of the world. Um, speaking of Bloomhouse, we do have a fair amount of news this week. Oh, light it up, man. Let me know what we got. Okay, so I think the biggest thing we need to talk about this week is Ampus released some pretty big new rule changes this week. <sighs> Yeah. Chief among them, we discussed last week that Mark Harris's Five Came Back could potentially be a contender for Best Documentary because it screened in theaters in Los Angeles and New York for a week, which would make it eligible under the old rules. But as of today, that will not be the case because after OJ Made in America's somewhat controversial win, uh, you no longer can compete for Best Documentary as a multi-part series. So that is gone. How do you feel about that, Matt? Oh, I am I actually commented on this uh, here on the show, and I said uh, in regards to OJ's win, I was okay with it until history proves that it's not okay. And now that history has proven that it is not okay, I'm not okay with the win because I did think it was unfair. Um, I don't care how well made that that movie was. I really do think it was to the point of, um, it was overwhelming that it won. You know, it reminds me a lot of when Terrence Malick won the Palm d'Or for the Tree of Life, and when Robert De Niro, who was the uh, jury uh, president that year, was asked, um, "How did you guys arrive to like picking this?" You know, his response was, you know, in typical Robert De Niro fashion. It just seemed to have, you know, the right stuff. The what you call it the. The, the scale and the scope and it, it, basically his like answer is that it just was overwhelming in terms of how much it just seemed to fit the bill and that's what I think OJ made in America was it was so overwhelming to the point where it's like oh geez okay we get it already all right we're gonna just give you the award because dear god this is amazing but no other film stood a chance against something that was that good for seven freaking hours long so I think it's a good thing, personally. Now, we also have, along with rule changes like that, and for the record, I agree with you, Matt. 
Um, I think the definition of what a feature film is is fluid, but I think it's for the best that this, what could in theory become a loophole, will not be exploited in the future. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad for the time being that OJ won, because as you said, it's a very impressive piece of work. Now, a rule change that is a little bit more controversial, the animated feature category for the last seven years, really, has been particularly interesting uh, among other Oscar categories, you tend to have indie films that don't have an audience and are relatively unheard of getting nominations. And that is because the Academy's animation branch, which consists entirely of animators pretty much, are the sole voters who, or I guess people involved with animated productions in general, are the sole voters to so people who know animation. But what that's meant is that things like Despicable Me 3 and Captain Underpants and the Smurfs don't tend to get have as much of a chance winning uh, or getting nominated for an animated feature Oscar because the animators like the more obscure stuff that really needs an audience. And apparently, according to Chris Tapley, there's been a lot of pressure to open up the voting body to everyone in the Academy, which will happen now. So instead of just animators and animated film screenwriters voting for the nominees, anyone can vote for the nominees, which means that the films that are most widely seen are going to be the ones that get all the attention. So, I don't love this turn of events. I know a number of other people I've talked to today don't, just because it means that things like The Red Turtle and Chico and Rita might not stand a chance in the future against something that is widely seen like Finding Dory. While it might not be one of the three or five best animated films of the year, most people know about it, so I yeah I can't say I love this change. No, no, not at all. I'm I'm not a fan of this personally because I do think that um, this has given a spotlight to films that, quite honestly, not many people would ever see. I mean, most people are getting out there right now to finally see your name right now, and that film wasn't even nominated uh, for the Academy Award, but. It was widely talked about as a contender leading up to it because of rules like we had before. Now with those rules gone, you know, last year we wouldn't even be talking about Red Turtle, Life is a Zucchini, Your Name, and all these other films that were in the conversation. Instead, we would have just been debating uh, between Finding Dory and... Kung Fu Panda 3 and Sausage Party over those last two spots. And quite honestly, that makes the race more boring, in my opinion. But also those films didn't need the help that these other films got. And, you know, that that's what I hate. This is Well, is I it so much like the help or is it more so we're just trying to recognize what is truly the best of the year in animation? I think that if anybody should have a say over what is the best in terms of animation, it should be the animators. Um, let the entire Academy vote on the winner amongst those. But – these are the guys that understand the craft better than anybody, and they're recognizing different types of animation, 2D animation, clay animation, 3D animation. It's Everything gets represented, it seems like, and now, because Hollywood only seems to really care about com computer animation, we're going to just get five computer animated films each year that appeal to the broadest uh you know, to the broadest cinema goer imaginable. And like I said, it just makes it 
boring. And it's not so much that the nominations help those films, in my opinion, to get um, the exposure, and that's why um, people um, will campaign for them to get Academy Award nominations. Although it is a factor, don't get me wrong. It should just simply be based on merit. These are the best. And don't get me wrong, you know, sometimes the idiosyncratic nature of the animation branch voters upsets me. I I was very sad the Lego movie missed out. Oh, preach. But at the end of the day, I think the recognition, the open-mindedness that this branch has had is something that will be missed in the future uh, in light of this change. Now, one change I do like is the third big announcement is part of the rule changes, which is that films can now submit multiple composers as nominees for the Oscar. For oh, Best Original thank Score. you, God. So, I guess for backstory, uh, Matt knows this, some of you listening might not. In the past, uh, films like The Revenant were disqualified from competition in this category because they had multiple composers, or it, the fact that a film had multiple composers led to controversy that ensured the film wasn't nominated. Cloud Atlas ran into this. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo ran into this. Hidden Figures ran into this this year. Often the films don't get to credit every composer who worked on the film because the Academy ideally only wants one, and what if they have to expand it? They want no more than three. But after uh, after this rule change, that will no longer be the case. So we will hopefully see cases where Tom Teekwer can still be considered for Cloud Atlas, which he was not, uh, even though he helped compose the score. Or Hans Zimmer can be included in the Hidden Figures team. And things like The Revenant won't be DQ'd because of this reason. The branch still has very archaic rules, and they could do a lot more to change those, but this is a big step. It wouldn't have saved uh, Arrival last year, though. So, I mean, it, it's a moot point unless if it could save Arrival as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. <laughs> but no, no, no. I, I, I take that back. It's it's a good change. It's definitely good for all the hardworking composers out there um, to get this level of recognition. It would have helped Lisa Gerard get nominated for Gladiator. Oh, under, God, yeah. That's true. Under the old rules, that was entirely Hans Zimmer, even though like a big part of the reason that music is so good is her stunning vocals and the vocals that she added yes. to the music. And the Globes nominated her, but she couldn't get in under the old rules. So Yeah, and as a result, um, they didn't win that year. It's... Um which is which is odd to me because that score is so iconic. I feel like now, um, but anyway, I, I I think it's a I think that's a positive change. That's for sure. Now there's one more I didn't mention when I told you guys early about this, and this hasn't got as much traction some of the articles, but um, they will now allow producers to be submitted as teams, which means that films will be able to have far more producers nominated uh, than they did in the past. So now Brad Pitt and Dee Dee Gardner, for example, can be nominated as one. And so something like 12 Years a Slave can get more and more producers acknowledged. So, you know, this year, because of the small number of producers that could be included, someone like Peter Berg chose not to submit his name as one of the producers to be nominated for Hell or High Water. Mm. But under this new track, uh, this new ruling, we'll be able to have more people included, which is pretty cool. A lot of producers work to make that vision come true, and it's nice to be able to see them all acknowledged. I totally agree with you on that. Um, all around, I think these are um, some pretty good changes for the most part. Uh, the animation rule is a little... 
uh, discerning, but we'll see how it plays out. Maybe it could be a good thing. Uh, we don't know at this time, obviously. We'll see how it all shakes up. Uh, this always tends to bring up a very interesting point of conversation. Will, we've kind of talked about this before in the past, but for those of us that have not heard it before, uh, what is a rule that you're still waiting on from the Academy that they did not institute this year? I assume you're talking about makeup? Whatever the case may be. I would probably say makeup and hairstyling because it is absolutely absurd to me. Pretty much every film utilizes makeup, and there's always more than three worthwhile films considering for makeup, and it is now the only category that does not get five nominees anymore. And it, 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 it's absurd. I mean, there, there are always films that deserve nominations for best makeup. Visual effects gets five, sound editing gets five, why does makeup not? And I think it is weird because I don't see how this doesn't come up every single year, one. And two, if it is coming up, what is the reasons to shoot it down? You know, and if it's due to lack of films, I'm sorry, but if the three films that were nominated this year for makeup are the only three that you could possibly think of, uh, or I, I just, that does just, that does not make sense at all. That Hacksaw Ridge, Jackie, Florence Foster Jenkins, along with a ton of others, could not get recognized in that category this year. It makes no sense whatsoever. Oh, it's and it's an every year thing. There are always more than three films. There's usually is uh, more than ten films that would be worth nominating. But for whatever reason, this is one rule they won't budge on. Now, I'm gonna always uh, call attention to. I want them to add an award for casting director because I feel very strongly that. Um, Coming together with a film's cast is such an important part in the filmmaking process. A director will tell you, you know, 80% of their job is casting for the most part. And it, it just, you know, and we're not just talking about main cast. We're talking about small bit roles too. You know, if the if Captain Fantastic can get recognized by SAG Ensemble with a nomination, mostly due to the child actors in that film, um, I think that's something that deserves to get recognized by the Academy as well. Hey guys, this is JD from the Incession Film Podcast. Every week on our show, you can join my co-host Brendan and I as we review the latest films that's out in theaters. It also inspires us to discuss a top three list of some sort, and we have a lot of other fun movie discussions as well. It's always a blast. And we also have a show on Fridays called our Extra Film Podcast. This is a show that gives us the space to talk about the latest indies and art films and other classics that we normally just don't get to talk about on our main show. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, and more. In fact, you can just see everything about us, including our social medias at IncessionFilm.com. So join us every week. We'd absolutely love to have you. Uh, really quickly here before we continue on with some of the other news stories of the week, obviously that was the, the big one. Uh, we have some fan questions here that I want to get a chance to ask you, Will. Uh, Roger Fritz, uh, at Roger CFR, early guest for Best Picture winner of 2017. Ha. Um, this is pretty hard this year. I, I Is it? I, I would say yes. Usually there's something on paper that looks super Oscar baity. You don't think uh, this could be it for Alexander Payne, maybe with downsizing or? I would. I think Alexander Payne will get a lot of attention this season. That's a really weird, just 
off-kilter sounding film that I'm not sure is going to, particularly in the preferential ballot, play to everyone. It sounds more like a her mm. from Spike Jones, for example, which will probably get a screenplay nomination or win several nominations. Payne always gets nominated. He'll probably get a nomination. But like it, it sounds very Charlie Kaufman-esque, very quirky, very weird. I can't fathom it winning Best Picture, but it'll probably end up being one of my favorite films of the year. What about Paul Thomas Anderson? Um, I think Paul Thomas Anderson is progressing more and more towards non-academy-friendly projects. I think that's another one. It's a film I'll really like, but a lot of people love The Master, and aside from its performances, uh, the Academy didn't touch it with a 20-foot pole, even in places like cinematography, where it was very deserving. Well, I'll tell you this much then. You want to know my, my guess right now? I do. Untitled Catherine Bigelow Detroit Riots film. From a subject matter standpoint, from that snub that happened to Catherine Bigelow for Zero Dark Thirty, to the cast that she has gathered together for this film, to the fact that Mark fucking Bowl is writing the screenplay for it, who is amazing, by the way, if you watched The Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty, you will know this. I think this has the recipe. Yeah, I, I mean, I hope so. The release date is going to be something that it need, a hump it needs to get over. What is it? It's dropping this summer, isn't it? How is that a hump? If if you told me it was December, like Paul Thomas Anderson, I'd say we are, we're in bigger trouble. December is hard too, but it seems to be this sweet spot in, I think October is clearly the best month, October and November. You know, like we're not just talking the festival circuit. Everybody's going to see it by August. And, the, you, you know, particularly if it's really good, it is then going to have to deal with a frontrunner status because then it'll be the first film to be declared the frontrunner. And as we've seen multiple times now, that is that is a horrible thing to happen to your Oscar chances. Mm. It gives people a lot of time to turn against you. I'm, I'm so hyped for that film, let me add, and I think it's going to be really, really good. Oh, yeah. I don't think it'll win because, you know, he, he had... He hasn't done a film to me that seems to hit all the points that deserve an Oscar Best Picture win. But, you know, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people would say that Dunkirk will be the answer to this question. I I don't think it'll win, but I do think Dunkirk will get Nolan his first Best Director nomination. You know what? If the film, you know, I have to say, making the film PG-13 instead of rated R and really having um, Nolan focus more so on the suspense and the dread... And having that drive the intensity of the film, that could be something that the director's branch looks at and really sees that as a um, as a real feat of storytelling. Because I feel, you know, after last year, especially with something like Hacksaw Ridge, where so much of the conversation did focus on the violence, here is a war film that isn't going to have that hindering it so much. And it, it, it's almost going to feel like a detriment, I think, that other directors will respect him uh, for taking it out of his toolbox. Yeah, I th- but do you see it as a best picture winner? Because I, on a lot no. of the polls, that's what people oh, keep no. choosing. But yeah, I, I don't see that either. No, I think that uh, the best picture winner is going to be something that we don't normally associate with a Best Picture winner. Like Moonlight this year. Uh, because yeah. no one was talking... I think only Jason Osiason, uh, if you happen to be listening to this, here's a shout-out for you then, um, on Twitter was really the only person this time last year who was saying it could be a contender. So, uh, 
we, we've seen now, and then we also saw Spotlight on paper didn't look like something that would uh, do nearly as well as it did this time the year before. I mean, obviously, once it premiered, it did. But oh, yeah. In the spring, neither of those films were on people's radars in a major way. No, no, no. I mean, right now, you know, outside looking in, I think the only thing really that we know about and we know is going to have huge buzz is Call Me By Your Name. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like, I think it'll be a little bit more of a tough sell to the Academy because the Academy has shown that they're willing to, they're more past their prejudices uh, than they were in 2005 because they gave Best Picture something like Moonlight. But this film, from what I've heard, is going to be very good. But as far as winning Best Picture, it does sound, you know, it's, it's going to be a little bit more controversial because there's the underage aspect of it. And there's also, it's apparently more graphic in general than Moonlight. Um, so I'm not sure I see it on paper being something that could be, you know, a, a best picture strong contender. But it'll be acclaimed. I have no doubt it'll get lots of nominations and probably a best picture nomination. Since we're on the subject here, I was listening to Award Circuit uh, this week and they were talking about the preferential ballot and something uh, came up in conversation that I thought to be very interesting and I thought I would ask you um, – they were talking about the preferential ballot and whether or not it's something that should be kept around right now, if they should just go back to the old voting system. And so far, the preferential ballot has, I think, in my opinion, worked out for the best in some cases. Um, not so much for the best in, I would say, most of the cases, though, because I'm not so much all for that broad appeal type film, like The Artist, like The King's Speech, um, things like things of that nature. However... What would you do, Will, if we had a year where, because of the preferential ballot, a film won Best Picture that, quite frankly, and I say this like with quotes around it, should not have won Best Picture. The example that was given on award circuit would be if uh, Hacksaw Ridge or Lion had won Best Picture. And, it, and it's just because it's the way the ranking works itself out. But it's also because maybe people aren't ranking uh, true to their hearts, what they think is the best. They're trying to simply outsmart the voting process. And, and here's what I would say. It, it hasn't happened yet. But if it does happen. But then I guess I would say it might, but films that should not have won Best Picture won Best Picture under the old voting system and did so often. But but they were honestly the number one or number two film, I would argue. It's either always the number one film or it's the runner-up film. Like, what is the last Best Picture winner that you can recall that one that wasn't one of those two films? I, it, you, honestly, I that's that's like the hardest question. You, you can't. Well, I mean, maybe you can make an argument for Gladiator, you know, if you thought Traffic and Crouching Tiger were above it. What, you're talking about where it was the best film? No, no, no. I'm talking like the best picture winner was not the number one or number two heading into the night. Like it was the number three or the number four. Like that ha- that that just simply doesn't happen. Yeah, and... And and I'm saying it could. it's possible that the preferential ballot could make that happen one year like would you have been would you have been totally shocked if manchester by the sea won yeah 
Yeah, yeah I, I would I would have been pretty damn surprised. Yeah, and I mean like And under those circumstances, I, I would have been happy. I, I prefer No, I know. I know you like Manchester by the sea and I and I get you. What I'm really saying though is that heading into the night, not a single soul on the earth was predicting Manchester by the sea to win. And then if it wins th- like that just shatters our entire perception of the game, essentially. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden now we have to – I mean our our jobs as people that talk about this year long and try to predict this stuff, it, it, it effectively destroys everything. Yeah. I mean I like surprises too. So maybe you're asking the wrong guy. And I think in theory under those circumstances, often the most likely films to win are not my favorite of the nominees. So I'm seeing a lot of worlds where this happens in a way that makes me happy. If Grand Budapest Hotel, for example, in 2014 had won over either of the frontrunners, I would have been overjoyed. I actually preferred it to both of the two frontrunners. See, I, I kind of like the predictability aspect of it. Um, I don't necessarily like it when something goes against uh, the grain. Um, and I'm not saying... Uh, because I think the win is undeserving. Like, when surprises happen, I genuinely tend to agree with the win uh, because they tend to pick the film that honestly deserve to win. And I know that's a very weird word that people throw around, deserved, but, you know, I think the best example of something like this that we could think of is something like an ex machina winning visual effects. Yeah, and you know I love that. I think that was a fantastic win. You loved it. And you may think it deserved to win. I didn't think it deserved to win. But some people argue that it did based upon the budget that it had. So once again, then it comes down to a matter of who's right, who's wrong. And then it just becomes also, well, nobody's right, nobody's wrong. And then you start questioning the purpose of awards in general. What is the purpose? If it's not to honor the best of the year and there's no such thing as what's right and what's wrong, then what is the point? This is a rabbit hole. I don't, you know, the the philosophy of awards podcasting, which... And listen, I'm not I'm not trying to push an agenda here or nothing like that. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just simply asking questions. I'm pulling the Socrates right now. Okay, so this this is an interesting rabbit hole. I'm even going to say we should do an episode basically on trying to break down the value of this and get somebody who like some philosopher in here uh, to talk about this. I enjoy award season because it does not honor the objectively best film of the year. I think that's what makes them so fascinating. I love the political aspect, the campaigning, the backstabbing, the smear campaigns, the word-of-mouth campaigns, the fact that it's not about quality, it's about who plays the game. That's what I love. If it were somehow objective, I would be bored and would not be nearly as interested. That So I love the juicy side to awards season. Um... At the end of the day, on some level, I follow awards campaigns because they entertain me and not so much because I care about the truly most deserving film winning. I like everything else that goes with it. It's a very it's a very interesting uh, topic to get involved with. I, I definitely have to get Michael Schwartz involved on this one day because... Schwartz is very passionate about, you know, good things winning here, I think. But... 
That, I think this is this is a topic that should resurface again when we get the whole team on board. Oh, I think we definitely will. Um, get, getting away from uh, more broad questions about the Oscars, getting very specific for a minute. Uh, will, you saw Get Out, right? Yes. Do you see Catherine Keener getting a Ruth Gordon in Rosemary's Baby no. style supporting actress nomination for no. Get Out? This is from Matt St. Clair at FilmGuy619 on Twitter. Absolutely not. She was very good. I liked her a lot. She was also not an, not nomination worthy at all. And the film came out early. It's not really Ampus friendly, no matter how good it was. The only chance I think the film has any Oscar attention is if it ends up being a weak year for original screenplay and it can get in there as one of those Ex Mahina or Nightcrawler style nominations. That would be really cool. I love the sound of Oscar nominee Jordan Peele. But uh, no, I, I can't fathom that happening. The only performance in that film I would say deserves some awards tension was Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, I thought he was very good. I, I, actually, uh, what's her name? Is the Allison? Um, is it Allison Williams? Yeah, Allison Williams is really good too. Um, but no, I I can't. I would not even consider that happening. So if you're listening, Matt Sinclair, uh, that would be cool. No way it's happening. Well, Matt Sinclair also has another question. He wants to know. Ha! Huh, name name him a dramatic actor who you want to see do more comedies, and name a comedic actor who you would like to see do more dramas. Ooh. Um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say I'm gonna say mine because mine's very easy. I want to see Leonardo DiCaprio do more comedies. Yes, his comedic timing in something like Wolf of Wall Street's hilarious. Oh, it's unbelievable! The best best performance of his career. Yeah, I mean he 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 works better in that sort of performance. I would argue than even in just a straightforward drama because he seems so earnest in his dramas when he just kind of lets it go. It's like Colin Farrell has hit something of a career peak when he learned to make fun of himself. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like in uh, Seven Psychopaths, he's got, like, all the puke on him. <laughs> yeah, Seven <laughs> like, Psychopaths in like Bruges. That. Yeah, no, he's... I mean, when he doesn't take his himself as seriously and plays the comedy more, uh, I would love it if Ray Fiennes continued playing comedy. He's already done... He's had oh, a bit of a comedic yeah. breakthrough recently. I, I, is as good as he was in serious roles like Amon Guth in Schindler's List. I, other than that, my favorite work of his career has been when he goes for comedy. In Bruges, Grand Budapest Hotel, and his brief bit in uh, Hail Caesar. Yeah, oh, and you need to see a bigger splash. if you. Have. Oh my god, I forgot a bigger splash. Yeah, he was fantastic. Oh, that. okay, you did see that. That's right, yes. Yeah, he's amazing in that. Um... As far as a comedic actor, I'd like to see do more dramas. Um, I would say Zac Efron. Uh, mm, yeah. That's pretty good. Because I just, I think there's untapped potential there. I normally would say Channing Tatum, but I think he, I think he is uh, definitely, uh, you know, sliding back and forth a lot between the two. You know what? Uh, call me crazy, but... Well, you know what? No, I can't. I can't. I can't say Jonah Hill because I mean, I I was gonna say Jonah Hill, but then I just thought to myself, all of his serious films have also been comedies as well. So who's like a who is a funny actor? Let's think back to like a Adam Sandler when he did Punch Drunk Love. I like Jim Carrey doing serious roles. I love. But we've him seen. But we've seen it before. Who's somebody we haven't seen it from yet? Who's like a new star? 
that we would you know what i guess we're gonna see it uh kevin hart uh with the um untouchables yeah i guess we're gonna eventually see him do something like that um you know someone we'd mentioned who i'd like to see do more comedy is michael shannon oh my god michael shannon is so damn funny in an understated way if when you see him doing things like the angry sorority girl letter reading he is hilarious oh yeah i would love to see him in a straight-up comedy I want to see uh, Hugh Grant do more semi-dramatic roles. I thought he was very good in his last scene in Florence Foster Jenkins. He's a great crier, apparently. He really brought out the feels in me. I wouldn't mind seeing more of that. Should have gotten a, uh, should have gotten a nomination for that film. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And our last question here comes from uh, Renata on Twitter, KBaileyJava2. Which entertainment figure do you think deserves a biopic and who would you cast? Now, Will, I know you and I tend to talk about this off air a lot in terms of real life stories of uh, figures that should get the biopic treatment. You know what? So here's what I'm going to say. I can't give you an entertainment figure. I am instead going to give you the possibility of some real life stories that I don't know why the hell no one's made anything out of. One. Agna Dicey. Agna Dicey was the first Greek f- or the first female physician in history. This is story time for everyone. This is this is ready made to be a film. Agna Dicey basically uh, existed in a time in ancient Greece when it was illegal to be a female doctor. So she had to dress as a male, go to Alexandria, get trained to become a doctor, or go to Egypt, excuse me, comes back and starts practicing medicine. Um, among the various females in Greece. Now, the women don't want any males looking at them when they have to go for what would essentially be gynecological inspections. So basically, she finds a woman who's in labor, and you have a lot of deaths during childbirth because the women don't want to be treated by doctors, male doctors exploring their nether regions during this period. So Agna Dicey reveals that she is a woman to another one of these women and basically gets permission to help her uh, birth her child. Word spreads and she basically takes on everyone in Greece, all the women of Greece, and becomes their doctor, becomes the first gynecologist. The men of Greece don't like this and immediately uh, put her on trial. They arrest her for what they assume is seducing all of their wives. They can't imagine any other reason she would take all their clients. So they think she is corrupting the women of Athens, kind of the same thing they got Socrates for. Put her on trial, it's very cinematic, and then she rips off her robes and reveals she's a woman. Now, immediately after that, they're like, okay, that's fine, we will instead get you for breaking the law and practicing uh, medicine as a female, and all of their wives come out, all these male lawmakers, their wives come out, and basically she's been treating all of them, so they're all like, fuck you, if you want to have anything enjoyable in your life again, and we can uh, see to it that that won't happen, then you're going to drop these charges. So eventually, uh, their wisdom prevails in the middle of the trial, they let her go, and it is subsequently legalized for women to practice medicine, and the tradition of gynecology is invented. I think that is so cinematic in itself. Agna Dicey should be a film, it's also a relevant topic right now. Dude, like, how has this not been made into a film yet? I don't know. It's so it is so incredibly cinematic, and in it's it's very nature. It, yeah, and I'm 
obviously, I feel like a woman should write it instead of another guy like me, but it is... It, it is a topic worth covering. It, so. This is the only reason why we haven't collaborated together to make the screenplay, right? <laughs> to make that screenplay, out of respect, right. out of respect, ultimately for the industry and also for the real life figure involved. Clear, clearly, um, so I I love history, and there's all these ideas I come across that would make great films. That is one of them. Hey everyone, I'm Jason, and I'm Lee, and we are the Atlantic Screen Connection podcast. We look to take a magnifying glass to the films you love with a warm atmosphere and a good laugh. New releases, retrospectives, and absolute classics all reassessed and reviewed. Check out the ASC podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes, or keep in the loop on Twitter by following me at film underscore faculty or Lee at Big Pick Reviews. That counts as a promo, right? Right. All right, cool. All right, well, I guess we'll cut here. See you later. <laughs> Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. Let the games begin. All right, so I want to get to our trailer review uh, for this week. But before we do, was there anything else this week that really, really stood out to you? Yeah, uh, the Oscars are going to be in March next year. Uh, let's see, Christian Bale, Amy Adams, and Steve Carell are going to be starring in Dick, uh, Adam McKay's Dick Cheney film. Oh, man. Big short guy, huh? All right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I can't wait. Uh, Sam Mendes is in talks to direct a interesting-sounding film about Nazi Germany. It is based on an acclaimed graphic novel. Hmm. Uh, Simon Pegg is going to be playing a schizophrenic musician in Lost Transmissions. That's a very Oscar Beatty part. Okay. Ridley Scott is piggybacking off of the current interest in World War II, and he's directing a Battle of Britain movie. Good luck with that. Rat Pack is reopening their Hugh Hefner biopic that was always supposed to star Leonardo DiCaprio. I can bet they will try again to get him. Uh, Plan B, Brad Pitt's company, is looking into teaming up with Annapurna Pictures, which would be a great combination. They would partner up and release projects together. They both had a great track record. And Annapurna just got an exclusive streaming deal with Hulu. Oh, yeah. So... That could be big things. Uh, Pablo Lorraine is going to be directing Tom Hardy in True American, which involves a ma- a Muslim man, I believe, in Texas in the aftermath of 9-11, trying to avoid some killings that occurred. Um, Tobey Maguire is going to be making his directorial debut in some kind of... Uh, it's another one of those Joe Nesbo books, just like The Snowman. Uh, it's going to be a dark noir uh, Army Hammer and Alicia Vikander will be leading Ben Wheatley's next film, which is about police officers hunting down creatures. Probably not an Oscar contender, but who knows? Shailene Woodley and Miles Teller are joining up again after the spectacular now, and they're going to be in a film called Adrift about a couple trying to survive castaway style, written by the screenwriters of Moana and directed by the guy who directed Everest. Um... Oh, and we should mention that if a deal is not reached with the WGA, the strike will begin on May 2nd. So, what? be prepared. Oh, yeah. no. Uh, they have until April 18th, I think, to work out their issues. And if that does not happen, then we can look in forward to several months of pretty much stagnation in the industry. Oh, my goodness gracious. That's not good at all. That is not good. No, no. It, so, it could, so this is definitely going to happen. No, it's not definitely going to happen. Um, but It sounds like it is. It, it very well. 
They, they have 10 more days. They have 10 more days to reach a compromise. If it does not happen, then the strike will begin in May. Oh, my God. It's like the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think ideally the demands would be met without a strike because obviously screenwriters like to work. I mean, you, you've heard a number of screenwriters talking about, or WGA members talking about, ideally, we, we don't want to strike. We would like to keep working, but we'll support it if that's what the WGA goes for. So we'll see. Oh, uh, Michael Crichton's last book he ever wrote is going to be getting an adaptation courtesy of Joaquim Ronig, the director of Contiki in the new Pirates of the Caribbean. And it... Mm as best I can tell, is a gritty reboot of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Okay. That's a, that's an odd one, to say the least. Uh, let's talk about this week's trailer. Uh, so we have here, for the trailer on Next Best Picture, it is going to be the Sundance hit film that won the uh, Screenwriting Award, actually, uh, starring Aubrey Pro- uh, Plaza, Elizabeth Olsen, O'Shea Jackson Jr., and Wyatt Russell, Ingrid Goes West. The couple that yogas together stays together. Prayer hands emoji. A perfect day for a perfect wedding. Hashtag perfect. Happy to be sharing this day with all my favorite humans. Hashtag blessed. Is this real? Hashtag no filter. A perfect day for a perfect wedding. Yep, that's how we roll. Ingrid, congratulations. Thanks for inviting me, you fucking cunt! Are you insane? Anything else I need to know about Ingrid? Oh, sorry, this is Ingrid. Ingrid, Ingrid, this is my brother, Nikki. (laughs) How long are you here for? So... What did you think of the overall tone, style of this? Um, I I can see how it won a, a screenwriting award, even though this is a very, very brief trailer. It's like only uh, just barely over a minute long. But I can already tell, just based upon this short burst of uh, clips and dialogue that we got here, I think this is going to be, um, I think this is going to be a good one. Oh, it looks absolutely wild. I, I don't foresee it being an Oscar contender, but it looks like a blast. I love the moment where she just comes up and maces her friend at the wedding in the face. Oh, yeah, man. That was savage. I mean, it, it looks just bizarre. But I, I like Aubrey Plaza a lot. I mean, she tends to play the same sort of role often, but it looks like she'll get a little more range on display here. It looks hilarious. I love dark comedy. I mean, and this looks dark for sure. So we didn't really see much about the plot, but I'm very excited for it. Yeah, I mean, it's so funny how like Aubrey Plaza went from being um, the very, what's the word I'm looking for here? The very um, angry, um, stone-faced, looking girl and funny people um if you remember she was in that movie wow no i forgot all about that film adam sandler one yeah yeah i just remember she always had like this look on her face of like she just always had this look of like she didn't look like she ever wanted to like be there it just seemed like until she actually had like lines of dialogue where 
Uh, she was bubbly and more like you could definitely see like her spirit more so. And her comedic side has always, always been there at the forefront of almost everything that she does. I don't think I've ever seen her get this dramatic as she appears to be in this movie. She looks like she's freaking crazy in this. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Out no, of her like, mind, batshit insane. Right. Like she's having a psychotic break. Mm-hmm. But it looks awesome. Um, and I could see her getting, you know, since the film's already acclaimed, I could see her getting a couple nominations from some critic groups, even if it's not Oscar love. So, uh, yeah, there, there's not a whole lot to discuss here, but it, it, it looks very entertaining. What do you think of the idea of Wyatt Russell uh, constantly popping up in uh, movies here and there? Uh, I am not tremendously familiar with his work. Okay, wait, 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 wait. I can, I can tell you. Oh, oh shit. No, I know who he is. He's in 22 Jump Street. And, and the... everybody wants some. He was the stoner in that movie. Oh, yeah, he's great. Yeah, okay. Um. Yeah, Wyatt Russell is very entertaining. Um. He hasn't shown me that he can do... A lot more than just some entertaining comedy, but his comedy has been very entertaining. And I'm also glad to see uh, O'Shea Jackson uh, Jr. get another uh, role as well. Yeah, he he was, you know, some people complained about him getting the role just because Ice Cube was his dad, but I, in Straight Out Compton, but I thought he was great in that. You know, he, he was. That whole cast is fantastic, but he was certainly a standout. I love seeing him more. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely seeing the other two guys, Jason Mitchell and uh, Corey. What the heck is his name, Corey? Hawkins. Corey Hawkins, thank you. Uh, Pop up with more roles. He seems to be the only one that um, I have failed to see more so uh, since that film's release. But it's really cool to see that he's getting some more work as well. Um, Elizabeth Olsen, love her. Um, glad to see her out of the uh, superhero uh, genre for a, a change here because, quite honestly, um, she has such a promising start. You know, Martha Marcy May Marlene is such an awesome movie. Oh my god, is she incredible in that? And I thought she was going to be huge after that, and then she's kind of just floundered. She went where the money was, man. Yeah, yeah, she, that's the truth. She went where the money was and where all the teenage boys were, and they <laughs> love her. Anyways. Ain't that the truth? Uh, anything else before we head out of here? I think that's everything. Awesome, awesome. Uh, Want to thank everybody for listening to this episode of the Next Best Picture podcast. Mr. Will Mavity, where can they find you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. Also, if you want any more of my random history, um, I have a lot. I have a history podcast. And you can find more information that on that at Passmasters History. So just look that up. I have lots more. If you're looking for ideas for films or something, there's plenty to be found there. Proper credit needs to be given. No less than a million dollar check is acceptable. I would appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to us. As I said before, you can find me on Twitter at Next Best Picture. You can subscribe to the Next Best Picture podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Thank you once again, everybody. Remember, this show exists because of all of you. We hope that you have enjoyed our Oscar and film cinema coverage for the week. We will be back again next week with a lot more to talk about. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we have heard some word on this writer's strike. Uh, Until then, we will see you all next time.
Hello, this is Gary Chachot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.